Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. Thank you for the honor of serving you. Thank you, Lord, for every ear that's going to hear your word tonight. Thank you for planting seeds in our hearts. And I pray that you're going to have your way. That as we open your word, that, Lord, it will be a sword, a two-edged sword, cutting past the bone and marrow to the very soul, the very spirit. And you're going to plant seeds in us that will grow for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for Elevate. Thank you for what you're doing. Have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So around the world, whenever a group of people will want to climb a glacier or a steep mountain and they're trudging through snow, they will put together what's called a rope team. And that is a team that is led by the guide and he has a rope attached to him and every 25, 30 feet, there will be a butterfly knot that a different member of the team will clip into. That way, if there is some sort of crevice or somebody slips or falls, the whole team can anchor down and save the one who has fallen, save the one who's sliding and slipping. It's a powerful, powerful image of the body of Christ. The body of Christ, that the head, the guide, is Jesus. The one that is taking us on this journey, that is pressing into the unknown, that is leading his people, that is anchoring the rest of the body. And each of us have to make the decision of whether or not we're going to clip in to this body, clip into this rope team, Are we going on the same adventure? Are we going on the same mission that Jesus has called his people on? Because he doesn't lay down an easy mission. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. Take in the mission. Clip in to the direction that I'm going on. Now take that concept, take that visual of this rope team trudging through the snow at this steep incline, supporting each other, following each other, taking care of each other, And take that image and put that in your back pocket. And we're going to begin tonight with God's word in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. Are you ready for this? And he came and preached peace to you, talking about Jesus. You who were afar off and those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us access to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the chief guide, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Tonight you have the challenge, will you clip in? Now with that in mind, let's go to Haggai. I need to give you a little bit of backstory, hang in there, but it's super interesting. The book of Haggai. If you're looking through your Bible, you're going to find those books, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. That's the history books right there. We're going to learn the history of the nation of Israel, its rise, its lineage and its decline. And then paralleling with that is First and Second Chronicles. And at the end of Second Kings, the end of Chronicles, Israel is wiped out. 
Over and over and over again, the prophets came to Israel and said, if you do not re- return to your father, if you do not return to Yahweh, if you continue in your, continue in your sin and your idolatry, God is going to bring punishment through the Babylons, Babylonians. And they didn't. They did not repent. And so God brings Babylon in and wipes out Israel. <laughs> no more Israel. Like Abraham until the end of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles has disintegrated. And Babylon came in, wiped out Jerusalem, more, most importantly, wiped out the temple, the place that represented God's presence on earth and with his people, and then enslaved a majority of the nation and drug them off as exiles to Babylon to serve as slaves in another nation that was not their home. Now, while they were in Babylon, we get books like Daniel and Esther and Ezekiel. You all remember Esther? That happened while they were in exile, after their home was destroyed. Daniel, the lion's den, no more Jerusalem. This is Daniel living in a foreign country. Ezekiel was sent to minister to them. And then, if we were to continue his, those historical books, we read Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the story of Babylon was conquered by another nation, a world superpower called Persia. And the first king of Persia looks around and he sees this whole population that doesn't belong there. And he, de- he makes a decree, the Edict of Cyrus. And he releases Israel to go home. This is a huge, earth-shattering moment. Israel, after 70 years, gets to go home and begin to rebuild. Not only that, but God moves so much on this pagan king's heart that he sends them with the money and building materials to rebuild their temple. Why? Because God's awesome like that. So God takes a pagan king, releases the people, and sends them with everything they're going to need to go home and rebuild. A beautiful, beautiful story. Now, the, leading the first wave of Israelites from Babylon back to the ruins of what was home are a political leader named Zerubbabel, and he's going to act as governor of Jerusalem. A spiritual leader, his name is Joshua, and he's going to be the high priest of the hopefully soon temple that they're going to rebuild. And meanwhile, there is the prophet of God that is with his people, and his name is Haggai. He's a contemporary of uh, Zechariah, another great book. And so Haggai is speaking to Zerubbabel and Joshua and challenging them. And that's where we're going to begin tonight. Were you able to follow, follow that history? Y'all good? Y'all good? Wasn't, you didn't get it? I love it. I think it's beautiful. All right. Haggai, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, go King Darius. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of Yahweh came to Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, or Jehozadak, if you want to be correct, the high priest saying, okay, so we've established the date. This is now 18 years after the Edict of Cyrus. So they have gone home. They started building the temple sort of a little bit, and then they got nervous because some of the people around them gave them some resistance. And they're like, eh, we don't really want to build the temple anymore. So let's, let's pick up. Thus speaks Yahweh of hosts. This is God saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that Yahweh's house should be built. So what are the people saying? They're saying, "Eh, We're not ready to build God's house yet. It's not the right time to rebuild the temple just yet. So what does God have to say? Verse 3. This is where the tension comes in. You ready? This is where the tension of the story hits. Then the word of Yahweh came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And yet the temple lies in ruins? 
Oh, what's up? I know those songs. Are y'all paying attention? Follow me. This is God saying, is it really time for you to live in your houses that are paneled with luxury and comfort, and yet the temple of God, the house of God, is laying in ruins? You're sitting by, padding your own world, and yet God's temple lays there in shambles? Verse 5, Now therefore, says Yahweh, the God of hosts, consider this. Pay attention. If you all have your Bibles, open up your Bibles. Consider this. I want you to interpret. When he says, consider your ways, consider it like, rethink your lives, Israel. Alright, so, rethink your lives. You have sown much seed, but bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And whoever earns money, earns money to put into a bag, and the bag has holes in it. Thus says Yahweh, consider your ways. Three, think your life. What's going on here? God's taking their, they, they have this perspective that's zoomed in way up close, right? And all they see is their house and their livelihood and their family. And God is grabbing them kind of by the, the, the collar of their shirt and he's pulling them backwards to give them a wider picture. And they're seeing, he's trying to get them to see a bigger vision. Don't you realize whenever you take a look at things that everything you try to do, it's hard and it doesn't seem to produce? Every time you go out and you plant seeds, it doesn't produce as much crop as you think it should. You put money into your pocket and it's, just, you're, it's like you have holes in your pocket. You go out to spend your money, it doesn't seem to go as far. You eat and you're not filled. It's like all of your endeavors are coming back unfulfilling. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess so, sure. Let's pick up in verse 8. God gives them a command and a purpose. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord, says Yahweh. So what's the purpose of the temple? Is it up there? For God to receive the glory and to take pleasure in His temple. That's the purpose of the temple here. Verse 9. God's going to God gives him a command and a purpose, and now he's going to zoom back out and take a look at that picture again. And watch this. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. <sighs> Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that's in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the rain, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land of the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. I did it, is what God is saying. I don't know about you, but that's a little uncomfortable to me. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, isn't God just like this sweet-hearted Santa Claus, and he's just like, blessings for you, and for you, and for you, and everything goes great? And God here is saying, life's been hard. That's my doing. The ground is hard and you can't till it. I did that. The clouds aren't giving you the rain. I'm withholding it. You're not having the children that you think you ought to have. Your animals aren't reproducing me. Is that a little bit of a flinch for you? Because it is for me. So we have this tension here. We have these interesting motives between what they were focused on and their priorities versus what God is calling them to and, and His priorities. I want to switch over. We're going to read Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 20 real quick. I don't think I've put it in the slides. But I want you to pay attention. This is so important. God is speaking 
to Israel. And he's saying, if you will obey my laws, I will bless you. And if you don't obey my laws, here's what you can expect. This is Deuteronomy 28.15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of His commands and His statutes, which I command you today, that these are the curses that will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket in your kneading bowl, like where you knead dough. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, an increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do, until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings of which you have forsaken me. And that's just the beginning. I'm not reading the rest of it. He goes into how this curse is going to affect the work in the fields and at home and harvest into offsprings and, and disease and war and famine and rape and lack of rain, slavery and all kinds of stuff. And whenever we read this, in every way Haggai is wanting us to remember, he wants these good Jewish people that know Deuteronomy well to remember that section. And he wants to zoom out and say, look what you're living under right now. You're not living under God's blessing. You're actually living under the beginning of that list of curses. Wake up, Israel. Haggai is calling them to a very difficult reality. Why is God so so rough right now? What, what's the big deal about building their houses? And what's the big deal about forgetting about the temple? Deuteronomy 28, 28, if you keep reading a little bit further, it says that God brings confusion in every way of the heart. Don't miss this. As in, part of that curse is that you don't even realize that you're in it. You just think life's sort of hard for some reason. And so God is giving them a grace. He is blessing them by sending Haggai to say, open your eyes, catch it while it's still at the beginning. Pay attention to what's happening all around you. Something is wrong. you got to deal with it. I wonder how often we complain about life being so difficult while we continue to walk in God's disobedience, or in disobedience to God. I'm not saying every time, but I bet you there's a few of us tonight that whenever we're confronted with things, we're like, everything is just hard. We actually have a little flag going off that's saying, I'm living in disobedience here. We can't walk in God's favor if we are not obeying Him. Don't miss that. We can't live under the covering of His protection if we're in rebellion outside of it. They're experiencing this, but they're blind to it. And Haggai is calling them to wake up. You have to understand, this is not just a logistical issue of their houses versus the temple. This is a heart issue. The temple, the house of God, represents God's presence with His people. His desire is to always be with and among His people. He says things all the time like, I'll be your God and you'll be mine. You'll be my people. One commentator said that in building for themselves and not for him, the people apparently didn't mind whether the Lord lived among them or not. Their priorities are revealed by their attitudes. Their priorities were my world, my house, my things. God is just, he's there. They have no interest in pursuing him at all. They have no interest in in that relationship, in having Him among them. Their world is just right here. Me, 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 me. 
And so God, they're living outside of God's blessing. They're living outside of his favor. And so they're enduring the, the curses of Deuteronomy. And they're blind to it. And Haggai is like, come on guys, wake up, stay with me. Haggai is awesome. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoazadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, the remnant of the ones that came back from Babylon, they've come home, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, Yahweh their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. This is unprecedented in Israel. Every other prophet before, they came and they, they laid out the words of God, and people were just like, bah, to them. They'd say, Lord, you need to change your ways. God is telling us that there's punishment coming. There's, things are going to be bad. We need to stop worshiping idols and sacrificing babies and and living these awful lives. And people are just like, I don't hear you. I don't hear you, Jeremiah. La, la, la. Don't hear you, Hosea. This is unprecedented in Israel's history. They, they hear Haggai and they make a lifestyle change. That is amazing. That's what I want us to do. Elevate. Listen up. Let's be them here. So often, we, we walk around with our fingers in our ears and we're just like, yep, we hear the Bible. We sing a song. Let's go home and do our own thing. It's back to me again. Life's about me. And Haggai is calling them and he's calling me and you to clip in and say, I'm going to be a part of where God is going. Clip. I'm going to go where God's calling me to go. I'm going to be obedient to what he's calling me to do. It's not going to be easy. It's much easier to put paneling on my house than it is to serve the Lord. But I'm clipping in. I'm going all the way. Verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, Oh, this is so good. The Lord is speaking. I am with you, says the Lord. Boy, that's key. I am with you. Is there anything we can't take on if we actually knew that we knew that we knew deep down that our Father who loves us most, our guide, was with us? To me, that the story of grace, I hope you grab one on the way out. The most powerful moment in that is when she says, are you with me? And she feels his presence respond, I'm with you. Grace, I'm always with you. Because if we could walk in that confidence, if we could walk knowing that we were clipped in to our Heavenly Father, what is there to fear? We don't have to be slaves to fear anymore. We don't have to be afraid of the future. We don't have to be afraid of the past or the present. We're clipped in to our Lord. It also teaches us that not only does obedience bring God's blessing, but obedience also offers in the presence of God himself. Do I need to say that again? Not only does obedience bring us back under God's blessing, but obedience also ushers in God himself, his presence with us. If we are living in disobedience, we have stepped away from his presence. Jesus went through an awful lot to bring us back to his presence so that we could walk with him and know him. Verse 14. But God doesn't stop there. Are you ready for this? 
So Yahweh, so the Lord, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Isn't it great? Obedience also puts us in line to be empowered by God, to be impassioned by God, to be motivated by God towards his good work, towards building his kingdom, towards his plans. Behold, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans to prosper you. Everything that God has in mind for you is for your good and his glory. What's the purpose of the temple? For him to take pleasure in it and to receive glory. When we're obedient to the Lord, we come under his blessings. We are with his presence, and he empowers us towards whatever his works are. That's amazing. That's worth listening to Haggai about. I love it. Yay. God is building his house. They went out, and they began to build his house, and he is building his house today. He is building his temple today and he invites you and me to join him. Will you clip in? First Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. I want to read a few verses. Try to capture the heart of these three verses. You ready? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? You, as an individual. You, you can say your own name in my head. Me, Dominic, I am the temple of God. All right, we're going to do this together. Everyone, together, we're going to say, I am the temple of God. Ready? One, two, three. I am the temple of God. No, you don't understand. Like, that's amazing. Like, Jesus died on the cross so that we could come in before the Holy of Holies, that his presence could dwell in us. The curtain ripped from the top to the bottom to show that the the presence of God isn't stuck in a temple. It's now in his people. One more time. I am the presence, I am am the temple of God. Sorry, let's do this again. One, two, three. I am the temple of God. That is huge. The creator of the universe, Alpha to Omega, the one who sees all that spins galaxies that created wormholes to give scientists headaches. He's in you. He is walking in you. One more time. One, two, three. I am the temple of God. That is so profound. Holy Spirit, give him a glimpse. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Youch, there's that curse again. For the temple of God is holy. It's that temple that you are, which temple you are. Let's go to the next one. Next one is 1 Corinthians. Is it also 1 Corinthians? Or is this one Ephesians? Ephesians 2, 20-22. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We read this. I hope it means more to you now. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So before it was, you as an individual are the temple of God. And here, do you hear this? We, as the people of God, as the church, as a community, we are the temple of God. One more, 1 Peter 2, 3-5. through five. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, thank you Jesus that you're gracious, has anyone experienced the mercy and grace of God in here? 
Thank you, Jesus, for His grace and mercy in my life. Coming to Him as to a living stone, so we have the picture that, that He is a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also are living stones, that's each of us, are being built up as a spiritual house or temple, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Get two things out of these verses. Number one, I am God's temple. And two, we are God's temple. We, the community, are God's temple. What is the purpose of a temple? Haggai 1.8 That God will take pleasure in it and receive glory. There's your purpose in life. Elevate. There's your purpose in life. You as an individual, me. It's for God to take pleasure in us and for us to give Him glory. Oh, please tell me you got that. Like, that's beautiful. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of God's church and His kingdom? Is for Him to take pleasure in it and for Him to get glory. There's your life's calling. You don't have to climb a mountaintop in Tibet to figure out what your life is about, to find yourself. I'll tell you who you are. You're a temple of the Most High God. And your purpose is to give Him pleasure and give Him glory. Mic drop. Thank you, Haggai. I want you to hang on to these things. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, let's rewind a second. (laughs) For God to get pleasure in you, and for you to give Him glory. For some of you guys, that's news. You're like, wait, I thought being a Christian was like about me. (laughs) Nope. Choosing Christ was never about you. It was only about giving glory to a God that loved you so much that to show Himself merciful and graceful, to show how much He loves, to show how great He is, He would die on a cross so that you had the opportunity to say yes to Him for His glory, that He may have pleasure in you. What is it that Bonhoeffer says? When God calls a man, He bids him to come and die. This was never about us. If you would follow me, you would lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. He who tries to hold on to his life loses it, but he who lets go of his life saves it. We are living for him to take pleasure in and for him to receive glory. So I want you to hold on to three things. I want you to hold on to sit, to walk, and to stand. I'll break these down for you quickly because I want to break out to e-groups. Sit, walk, stand. We, as God's temple, both as individuals and a community, we are called to sit in the awareness of His presence. To spend every minute of our day recognizing that He's with us. Just like He told the people in Haggai, I am with you. Ah, that's good. You know, this begins with whenever our minds are engaged in activity, Our minds are engaged, but as soon as we disengage with one activity, before we get to the next, 
our mind snaps back to the Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you for this thing. And Lord, I pray, please bless this thing and help me walk with you. And then we start going from activity to activity to activity. And all the gaps in between are filled with his presence. And you know what? Eventually, his presence is going to start bleeding into those activities. And we're going to start remembering his presence in those activities. Does that make sense? We walk sitting. Oh, excuse me. We sit in the awareness of his presence. The second thing is that we are obedient to him. If we are God's temple, we are obedient. Jesus in John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. The second one, that's sit. We sit in the awareness of his presence. Let's say it together. One, two, three. We sit in the awareness of his presence. Number two, we walk, which means we walk out our holiness. We protect it. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 says, gird up your loins. That's so much fun to say. It's the idea that back in the day, they, they didn't have underwear. They, they wore long robes. And so if they were going to run or go fight, they'd have to take up their robe and pull it up between their legs and tie it off so that they could run. Right? So he's saying, prepare yourself to run. Prepare yourself for battle. Prepare yourself to go because protecting your holiness is going to be a fight. It's not going to be easy. You are fighting your flesh. You're fighting the world and you're fighting the devil. You have three adversaries against you. It's not going to be easy, but I'm with you. And I'm empowering you. Because obedience puts us under his blessings, brings us into his presence, and empowers us. That's being obedient. So Peter is saying, gird up your loins. Protect your holiness. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, we, the second thing is we don't join ourselves to unbelievers. It doesn't mean that we can't be friends. I use this all the time when, it, when we talk about dating. But we don't allow unbelievers to have influence in our lives. We should be influencing them. We're supposed to be light to them. We're supposed to show them who Christ is. If you have a very, very best friend and you're finding yourself looking more and more like them, but they aren't a believer, you need to be careful who you choose as your best friend. We can't tie ourselves and be influenced by the world. We're supposed to be influencing the world towards Christ. Another, 1 Peter 2, 9-12 talks about how we abstain from fleshly desires. Actually, it says fleshly lusts. And it doesn't just have to be a sexual lust. It can be anything that is drawing us, that we want it so badly. But we're not supposed to have it. We walk out our holiness also through offering ourselves and our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's Romans 12, 1-2. So we sit in the awareness of His presence. How? Through communion with Him and obedience. We walk out our holiness by protecting it and by offering ourselves as a sacrifice to Him. And three, we stand in unity with other believers. Click. We're standing, attached to, joined in unity with other believers, with Christ as our guide, our cornerstone. How do we do that? Here's four things for you. Number one, Colossians 3.13, we forgive. We can't be in unity if we're holding on to bitterness. Churches split every day because people can't get past the little, little arguments, their unforgiveness, their bitterness. I didn't like the carpet color. I'm out of here. The preacher said something I don't like. We're leaving. You know what? Friendships are lost every day too for the same reason. Godly friendships. We need to walk in forgiveness. 
Number two, we support each other. John 13, 34 through 35. We support each other. We take care of each other. When we see a brother that's down, remember? Somebody slips. They're clipped into the body of Christ and they slip and they fall down a ravine and everyone else is there to pull them back, right? Are we on the same page? We support each other. We take care of each other. We look out for each other. The third one, Hebrews 10.25, we meet regularly. Sunday morning service is important. It should not be the totality of your Christian walk, but you should regularly get together. Wednesday nights are awesome, but you need to have a church that you're plugged in at beyond just a youth night. You need to have a body of believers that you are participating in weekly, regularly, all the time. That verse, Hebrews 10.25 says, And do not forget to keep meeting with other believers. It's Dom's bad translation. James 5.16. This is uncomfortable. But this is be transparent. James says that we confess our sins one to another. As in we recognize that we're all broken. We're all needing a Savior. We're all needing grace. And this is where we all clip into the same rope. I love this quote. If you know one another as broken people, you're ready to get on with a church service. And that's so good. So many times we have our walls up. Everybody's trying to look good. Everyone's trying to look holy. How can we ever come before God as an honest temple if we're all putting up a false self? Isaiah Berg. Are you ready for this? What a great quote. I wish he was here. Jesus didn't die for the person you pretend to be. He died for the person that you are. And it's so beautiful. If you know one another as broken people, you're ready to get on with the church service. Ronald Allen. So we need to be transparent with each other. That's part of standing in unity. So here we are. Elevate. We're a team of mountain climbers. We're all joined together. We're sitting in the awareness of His presence. We're walking out our holiness and we are standing in unity with one another. Do I need to say that again? We're sitting in the awareness of His presence. We're walking out our holiness and we're standing in unity. God is building His temple here. You're His temple. We're His temple. And He invites us to join Him. Will you clip in? Heavenly Father, I offer up us, we, your temple to you. Lord, I pray that you will purify us, holify us, that we can give you pleasure and bring you all the glory. Lord, I pray that e-groups are special, that the leaders know how to lead and ask follow questions, that you stir our hearts and your Holy Spirit is present. Empower us, Lord, this week. In Jesus' name, amen.